This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Whatever the bottom of the ninth looks like depends upon how we respond to what God brings our way. And um, so, hey, good morning. How are you? Doing okay? Yeah? Yeah, I don't see anybody with a mask on. So, yeah, there you go. Uh, if you're like me, the smell of smoke in the air was way too soon, wasn't it? That take any of you back to a year ago? It did me. My heart, my heart is really heavy. And when I pull up those pictures on TV or or on social media, it's oh, um, I don't think I'll ever look at those things the same again. And I hope that I never do. If you're like me, there's an awfully lot going on in our world. Have you noticed? Yeah. Let's start out with some good stuff. Today is Veterans Day, is it not? Yes. For all of you who are in any branch of our military and for all of you who have served in any branch of our military and for the thousands, the hundreds of thousands and maybe even millions of people who have put their lives on the line so that you and I could come here this morning without a single thought of of the freedom that we have and that it could be endangered. Um, Boy, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, This is your day. Our hearts are also with the families who are grieving the loss of loved ones who were shot up in that mass shooting this week. I can't imagine what's going on in the hearts of parents and siblings and grandparents and children. Um, Unspeakable sorrow. And it's another reminder that this is earth and not heaven, right? Right? But aren't we grateful? You know, there's an old saying that uh, there's an old saying that happens just before Easter because Jesus was crucified on Friday, and an African American pastor stood in front of his congregation in Philadelphia with one statement that changed everything: "It's Friday, but Sunday's coming." You know what? It's Earth, but Heaven's coming. Yeah. And that does change everything. Would you stand with me and let's just put our hearts together in prayer for all that's going on in our world. I know that we all come in here in different emotional spaces and, and Sarah talked about that so wonderfully today. God, it's our prayer that you would meet every one of us right where we are that we could come without pretense, that we could come with our guards lowered, that we could come with our own personal agendas just set aside, and that wherever we are today, that you would meet us right here. And that through worship, through what I'm about ready to teach from your word, through the times of interaction that we have together, 
Would you speak to us in a powerful way? God, we stand in solidarity with the people who are going through unspeakable heartache, the 23 people who have lost their lives in in the campfire and their families and their extended families and and the people who were shot up uh, in the bar and their families and and the people that today is a tough day because it was their son or their daughter or their brother who lost their life somewhere defending our freedoms. God, there's just a lot going on. We're so grateful that in the end, it's your purposes that prevail. And when the darkness is greatest, would you give us the ability to see the light of your hope. That's our prayer, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Go ahead and take a seat. We are in the second teaching of a series called Bottom of the Ninth, and I just want to remind all of you who are not baseball fans, okay, when the home team comes up to bat in the bottom of the ninth, everything is not okay in the home dugout. Okay, because it means at best you're tied. It definitely means that you're not ahead. And we all have these bottom of the ninth moments that sort of pepper our lives. And some of you right now feel like that life has taken the lid off the pepper shaker and dumped it on there, right? Because it seems like all hell has broken loose in your life. And it seems like what you're facing day after day after day seems to be insurmountable. Last week, we talked about the fact that we serve a God that is in all things are possible God. And that our hope is staked and built on that truth that with man, Jesus said, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And we said that Jesus was basically saying to us, all things are possible people. That's what I'm saying to you. And we, and we deduced out of that, that we therefore need to be, and all things are possible people. That even in our darkest moments, So today, we're going to press into this concept that all things are possible, but we're going to do it this way. And that is, we're going to look at how to have faith in the dark times of life. Because really, that's not only when our faith is tested, it's also when our faith is grown. It's when we build it. So we're pressing into this concept of how can we be okay when everything's actually not okay? And there's something I've noticed about myself, and I've noticed it about most of the people that I encounter week after week after week, and see if this doesn't prove true for you. And that is, we we have a tendency to doubt in the dark what we have learned in the light. So when things are going well in life and we come to church and the pastor preaches a message about faith, we're all over that. We're, we're, we're ready to stand up in the air and, and, and lift our hands in praise and say, yeah, I'm all in on that. That's awesome. I know that to be true. I know that to be true. And the next week when the bottom falls out of our life, it's like, 
Where's God? Huh. Because we have this tendency to doubt in the dark what we learn in the light. So today we're going to press in and ask the question, how can we have faith that is unshakable in these dark times of our life, these bottom of the ninth moments when we're not ahead, when we feel like things are falling apart. In other words, how can we have a faith that is unshakable even in the bottom of the ninth? So today I want to take us to the life of one of the most famous characters in the Bible. Even if you've never been to church, I know you've heard of this guy. His name is Peter. And Peter is an amazing guy, and just between the two of us, or you and me, he's one of my great heroes because perhaps more than anyone else in the pages of, of the Bible, and maybe in the pages of human history, Peter illustrates for us how to have an unshakable faith in the dark moments of life. Before I read you his story, uh, this particular part of his story, uh, I know that many of you, if you grew up in a church, you're going, Peter, an unshakable faith in the dark moment of life. Wasn't that the dude that denied Jesus? Seemed to me that his faith was not all that unshakable. That is true. That's absolutely true. And there's a lesson in that for you and me. And that is just because we have failed in one moment of our life to have an unshakable faith in the dark doesn't mean we can't have that now. Are you on board with that? Yeah. So I'm going to take you to a moment in Peter's life where he illustrates an almost, well, it's not human. It's a superhuman faith in the darkest moment of his life. And then we're going to go back in his life and see how he built that faith. Are you up for that? So here we go. Here's the story. King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some of the believers in the church. So how did he do it? He had the apostle James. That's John's brother. This was James and John, uh, who were two of Jesus' 12 apostles, killed with a sword. You know what that means? It cut his head off, all right? Just to be clear. And when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. Just in case you thought America was the only country that liked blood and gore, you got it right there, right? They cut off a guy's head and everybody cheered, okay? Now, he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. For you math majors, how many soldiers? Thank you. Approximately 16. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. 16 soldiers. You know, any thought of escaping was probably gone at that point, right? One against 16, probably not going to happen. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. Wow. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial. By the way, Take a break from the screen. Understand how this worked. In this day and age, the Romans, when they tried you, they came to a conclusion in one day, and if you were guilty, they killed you that day. So this is the... What happened to James when they put him on trial? 
He got beheaded. What's going to happen to Peter when he gets put on trial? He's guilty of the same thing. This is the night before Peter knows he's going to be killed. He was, what's that next word? Are you kidding me? The night before he is going to be killed, he is asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Does that sound comfortable? No. I might have a hard time sleeping fastened between two soldiers, even if I know they're going to let me out the next day. But this guy's going to get killed. And yet, he is set, not just asleep. If I were to read you the rest of the story, God sends an angel, and the angel comes into the prison cell and has to shake Peter to wake him up. Dude is out. He's in REM. He's gone. Wow. Now, I haven't faced anything like that in my life. And there have been nights when I have paced the floor. Not too long ago, actually. Paced the floor. Unable to sleep with my stomach on fire. Have you been there? Yeah. Wow. So we're going to go back in Peter's life and say, how did he get there? And we're going to look at the five building blocks of faith. And I want you to notice up here, we're going to actually build a pyramid of faith. And of course, what do we have it based on? Jesus. So if you want the bottom line to this story, this is the whole thing right here. The problem is most of us don't feel like we can get directly there. So there are things that God uses in our lives sort of like construction blocks to build this unshakable faith in us. And so we're going to build it one block at a time. And the first thing that God uses in our lives is a thing called truth. Truth. Let's go back in Peter's life. And let's go to a story where Jesus has just delivered a sermon, and it's his sermon on the bread of life, in which he said to the audience, I am the bread of life. And he goes on to, to, to give a word picture of something that you and I just did. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And figuratively... We took the bread, which represents the body of Christ, and we took the cup, which represents the blood of Christ, and we ate and drank figuratively the body and the blood of Jesus. Now, picturing that thing that was to come, Jesus said, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you don't have any life in you, because I am the bread of life. And notice what happened after that message. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Wow. You know, Jesus was a pretty good teacher. Uh, I don't think I've ever had a time in my life when I preached a message and two-thirds of the crowd walked out and never came back. But that's what was happening here. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, Are you also going to leave? Do you think this might have been a bottom of the ninth moment in Jesus' life? Tough. Tough. Not too long before this, they wanted to make him king because he gave him a free meal. How fickle is that? 
I love Peter. Here's what Peter said. Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? And then Peter says something that he absolutely knew to be true. You have the words that give what? Eternal life. Wow. We believe and we, what's the next word? No. You are the Holy One of God. The first thing that you and I need to learn, if we're going to have this unshakable faith in the dark moments of life, the first thing we have to, we have to absolutely know and the first building block is we have to be sure of what is true. Okay? Because bottom of the ninth faith is based on facts. How could Peter know that Jesus was the Holy One of God? Well, when you watch him walk on water and you watch him touch lepers and not only not get leprosy, but heal a leper, when you watch him put his hands on the eyelids of a man born blind and give him sight, when you watch him go into the room of a dead 12-year-old girl and say to her, get up, and she gets up, and you take her back, and you give her to her parents. And when you see Jesus reach out and, and love the most unlovely people in the world, and you see people agitated at him, and you see him respond with love and kindness, Peter had a front row seat to all of that. And he looked at Jesus. And when he said, to whom would we go? You know what he was saying? There's nobody like you. Everybody else is a way distant second place. This is where we belong. What I want to say to you and me is this bottom of the ninth faith has to be based on facts. And it has to be something that we don't just hope is true. We have to know it. Does that make sense to everybody? Because you give away what you're just sort of hoping to be true. But when you know it to be true, I would tell you, if you want a faith that's unshakable in the dark, you have to actually know who Jesus is. So that your faith can be based on him. So what else was it that God used in Peter's life to help him build this unshakable bottom of the ninth faith that allowed him to sleep the night before he was going to be killed? Relationships. Yeah. Relationships. We've talked about this before in the context of community and in the context of community groups. And oh, by the way, 360 some of you are involved in community groups. How about that? That is awesome. And, and you're going to get to tap into this resource in the greatest way. And let's go back and see how Peter tapped into this. So one day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he chose Simon. He saw Simon, whom he later called Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, 
Come follow me and I will show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Does that seem a little unreal? Friends, that's very unreal unless you know the story. This was not the first time they had seen Jesus. Jesus did not cast a spell over them that somehow they're like, okay, here we go. It wasn't that. These guys had heard Jesus teach on numerous occasions. And these guys were followers of John the Baptist who taught them about Jesus. And they already had the idea that Jesus was the Messiah that they had been looking for and that their parents looked for and their grandparents. And for more than a thousand years, yes, even approaching 2,000 years, the Jewish nation had been looking forward to the Messiah. And these guys were pretty sure Jesus was the guy. And when Jesus walked up and said, why don't you leave that and come and follow me? They did. Now, there's another passage of Scripture that just a little bit later on, when, when there's a vast gang of people that are on a hillside, and Jesus has been teaching them, it says that Jesus spent the night in prayer the night before, and from that vast multitude of people, Jesus chose 12, whom he designated apostles And maybe the most important part of this passage is the next few words. It says that they might be with him. Wow. Not that he might teach them. Not that he might train them. Not that he might take them to his rabbi school. He chose 12 that they might actually just be with him. Because here's one of the most important things that you and I could ever learn about faith, okay? If you want a faith that stands the test of the bottom of the ninth, then you need to understand this. Bottom of the ninth faith is a faith that is caught as much as it is taught. You catch it by being around people who have faith. In that sense, initially, it's sort of a borrowed faith, that you catch from the people around you. This is why we often teach, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. So if you pick friends and you go to a community group that has people of faith in it, when your faith gets tested, you can catch a piece of their faith and they will speak into your life what you need to hear. And they will lock arms with you and they will lift you when you're struggling. Because this kind of faith is not a faith you learn on your own. It's a faith that is caught as much as it is taught. So there are two things. Truth and circumstances. There's a third. Oh, I should put that up here, shouldn't I? Yeah, there you go. I'll get with it in a minute. All right. I would have spelled it out, but I don't know how to spell relationship. That's not really true. All right, here we go. So, the third thing that God uses to build our faith is circumstances in our world and in our life. 
circumstances. So how does that work? Well, let's go back in Peter's life and see how this happened. Meanwhile, Peter was in the courtyard below. Now, meanwhile means something else is happening. I'll bring you up to speed. Jesus has been arrested and he's put on trial and he's, he's in the, he's in the courtroom of Caiaphas, who's the high priest going through a kangaroo trial. And outside of Caiaphas's palace, there's a big courtyard and there's a fire that's been built in the middle of the courtyard. And Peter is cold and he kind of wants to know what's going to happen to Jesus. So while Jesus is on trial, Peter was in the courtyard below. And one of the servant girls who worked for the high priest came by and noticed Peter warming himself by the fire. She looked at him closely and said, now, by the way, when, when, you're, when you think you might be in a place that you're not supposed to be in, let's just suppose for a minute that you do what one of my kids did and sneak into Disney World, okay? I won't tell you which one, okay? But they snuck into Disney World. They had some friends. Didn't I tell you, show me your friends and I'll show you your future? We went to Florida, <laughs> to visit some friends. They had some teenage kids and they said, we'll show you how to get in free. And so they went to some fence and climbed the fence. When you think you're in a place you're not supposed to be, you know what would have struck fear in their heart if one of the Disney officials had come up and looked at them closely? Oh boy. Well, she came up and she looked at Peter closely and she said, you were one of those with Jesus of Nazareth. But Peter denied it. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. This is what we referred to earlier, he said. And he went out into the entryway. That way, if he needed escape, he could. You got it? That was not just an entryway. I'm sure it was an exit. Just then, um, a rooster crowed. And when the girl saw him standing there, she began telling the others, this man is definitely one of them. But Peter denied it again. A little later, some of the other bystanders confronted Peter and said, you must be one of them because you are a Galilean. Now, Galilee was way up in the north and Judea was way in the south. And they had a little different dialect. And Peter, when he spoke, they recognized, oh, you know, you can tell when somebody's from Alabama, can't you? Yeah. Okay. So there he was. His dialect gave him away. You're a Galilean. And Peter pulled out his pre-Jesus words. He swore. Yeah. A curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know this man you're talking about. And immediately the rooster crowed the second time. Hmm. Wouldn't it be sad if that was the end of the story? So how does God turn this story around Suddenly, Jesus' words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny three times that you even know me. And he broke down and wept. Without a doubt, this was maybe the saddest moment in Peter's life. Not the darkest, but the saddest. That's not the end of the story. The point where Peter broke down and wept, he recalled Jesus' words. Do you know what else Jesus said in those words that's not recorded right here? He said to Peter, Peter, Satan has desired 
to sift you like wheat. In other words, he's going to run you through the mill. But I have prayed for you so that when you are restored, you can strengthen your friends and brothers. Wow. Peter recalled Jesus' words. And he went out and he faced the reality of his own human frailty, of his own human brokenness, of his own disappointment in himself. But he also recalled the wonderful words of Jesus who said, Peter, I see this coming. I've got a plan for it. Here's what Peter knew. Peter knew that he could choose to see God at work in every circumstance, even the worst one in his life. And I want to tell you and me, one of the greatest realizations is when we get in this moment of darkness in the bottom of the ninth, when everything looks awful and terrible and we can't see a way around it, we can choose to see God at work in it even though we don't see where he's working in it. We can choose to believe that God would never abandon us in those moments. In the words of the psalmist, in perhaps the most famous psalm in all the Bible, that every single one of you has heard and maybe even read together at someone's memorial service, the 23rd Psalm, David said it like this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a terrible circumstance, right? I will not fear evil because you are with me. Bottom of the ninth faith chooses to see God at work in every circumstance, even though I don't see where. Now, if you want to look at how to build faith... These three things are what I would call the raw materials. Everybody gets them. Everybody gets truth. Everybody gets relationship. And maybe you need to choose better ones, okay? And everybody gets circumstances in life that are tough. So the question is, how do we turn these into a workable faith? And so the next two, the last two, are going to be the process through which these raw materials get turned into faith. And so, number three is this, engagement. How do I engage with these three? How I do that determines whether these three become obstacles or building blocks of faith. And let's go back in Peter's life and, and let's see what happened to Peter after he had that experience where he denied Jesus. Paul writes about this later and, and brings us up on a piece of history. Paul said, I passed on to you what was most important and what has also been passed on to me. And here is the heartbeat of the church, the heartbeat of the message of Jesus, that Christ died for our sins, just as the scripture said, he was buried and was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. And I know that Diva invited you guys if you haven't been baptized, to be baptized next week. We have nine people already signed up. You know what we're going to do? 
we're actually going to symbolize that very thing. That we die to the life we used to have, that we are buried with Jesus, and that we are raised for this whole new way of life. So Paul is referencing that, and then he goes on to say this, and that he was seen by Peter, huh? and then by the twelve. I wonder how Peter got in on the early deal. And then he goes on to say, and after that he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one, one time, most of whom are still alive. If you ever doubted the resurrection of Jesus, there's 512 people right there who saw him. Wow. Let's talk about Peter. So what's the last thing that happens sort of in Peter's life before Jesus is crucified? He curses and swears that he doesn't even know him. Dark moment. But you know something? One of the first people that Jesus appears to is Peter. And he sits down with him. And we don't know what all he said. But I have an idea. He sat with Peter and said, Hey Peter, let's engage about this thing that just went down in your life. Let's talk about it. Do you remember when your parents called you in and they wanted to talk to you about something bad you had done? Anybody remember that? Yeah. What was your posture? Did you look at them? Nope. Head down. I can just see Jesus reach out and put his hand under Peter's chin. Say, hey man, look at me. Let's talk about this. And it was in that personal conversation with Jesus that Peter began to build this kind of faith that was unshakable. It was through engagement with Jesus. It's through engagement with other people that we can also build that. I don't have time to preach through all of that today. But I want to tell you, if these three things happen in your life and you don't engage around them, they will never build your faith. If you try to push them out, you just try to deal with the circumstances as best you can. If you try to pretend that they don't exist, then you will never have that faith. But if you're willing to engage around them, And engage with people of faith. And most of all, engage with Jesus. There's this amazing faith that He will begin to build in your life. You won't have to just crank up your trust meter. Have you ever tried to do that? Oh, I'm just going to trust more. Yep, I'm just going to trust more. You can't do that. That's not humanly possible. But if you engage with Jesus and you engage with people of faith... God will begin to build inside you this amazing, unshakable faith. Because bottom of the ninth faith is forged during personal engagement with Jesus. That's where it gets forged. And we have one more, and that is this. Like anything else in life, we have to put it into practice. We actually have to practice this. This is when it goes from theory to being part of our life. 
So guess what happened? Here's how it looked in Peter's life. This was on, this is in Acts chapter 2 in your Bible, and it is the first time that the message of hope in Jesus is ever given, ever preached by anybody. And guess who steps to the front to deliver the very first gospel message? Here it is. Peter stepped forward with his buddies, the 11 other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd. Why? Because there were thousands of them and he had no PA. He wasn't mad, okay? He just had to get the message out. Listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. And look what he goes to. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. This is Peter, the guy who denied Jesus, having engaged with Jesus about it. This is now Peter putting his faith into practice, and in front of thousands of people, he begins to share about his own personal experience with Jesus and his faith in Jesus and what it's done for him. He put it into practice. Bottom of the ninth faith is put into practice by serving others. Now, I love how the Bible puts this. And that is, and that is this. What is important is faith expressing itself. That's serving others in love. So we close today with just this simple question. And that is, what step will you take this week? Can I just give you a hint? Don't try to take five. Okay? One will be enough. I want to give you a moment to sit with this, and then I'm going to pray. But I believe that God will speak to you in such a way that you know which one of these You need to take a step in this week. And I want to encourage you, taking a step means investing in it, doing something about it. Okay, let's pray. God, thank you so much that you're an interactive God and you know each of us individually. And at the beginning of this service, we prayed that you would meet us right where we are and we believe that you have. And that you're speaking to us right now. And that each one of us knows the one thing that we actually need to invest in this week. So that you could build our faith in the days of this week. And that when we come back here next week, that our faith would actually be stronger and more vibrant. And and it would actually be more agile. It would be more effective. And that when dark times come that we will actually be prepared for them. And if we're in the middle of a dark time now, that this faith that you're building in us will power us through and stand with us as we go through it. God, would you give us grace this week to do something specific so that we might be not just people who come in here and say that's nice, but people who actually put into practice what we are learning. We thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. We will see you next week. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.